When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard-to-recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Live from Liverpool, the dark paranormal, season four. Well, we've had our season break, and now it gives me great joy to once again say, welcome to the dark paranormal. As you will have figured out, last season we done true listener paranormal experiences, which means this season we flip back to some of the more famous stories which you may or may not be acquainted with. And as we've done in season two, Hopefully, even if you are aware of the story, the way we present it here on The Dark Paranormal may give you either some new information or present it from a different perspective. Either way, I will reiterate this podcast's goal, and that is to take true paranormal experiences and deliver them to you in a way that reawakens the fear that we all felt as a child when you would run down the stairs believing someone was behind you. That fear that the creak you can hear on the stairs isn't just the house settling. For 30 minutes each week, we want you to allow that fear to come out to play. That's why the show's motto is to leave your disbelief at the door prior to listening to these episodes. That fear that you feel is a generations-old inbuilt alarm, which is telling you what you already know. But being an adult has forced it down and down until you say these things don't exist. But you know they do. And maybe that's why you're listening right now. Before we get to our first famous paranormal experience, I would like to say a big thank you to everyone who supports us via Patreon. When you sign up to Patreon, you not only get the episodes earlier than everyone else, you also receive a smaller Patreon-only show, Dark Bites, each and every week. Meaning when the show takes a break in between seasons, you can still get your Dark Paranormal fixed. Head over to patreon.com forward slash the Dark Paranormal. I'll be sure to give you a shout out in a roll call at the end of the show. But for today's season premiere, we're going to take a look at a famous case that has very recently made headlines once more 
thanks to the Conjuring series. And of course, two of the most controversial people in the history of paranormal research, Ed and Lorraine Warren. However, as you're about to hear, some of the most chilling accounts actually take place prior to the Warrens joining the case. So, without further ado, leave your disbelief at the door, lower those lights, get comfortable, and join me for the season premiere of The Dark Paranormal Season 4, The Devil Made Me Do It. It was a typical blustery day that afternoon in Brookfield, Connecticut. The trees which lined the street rustling and swaying under the heavy clouds which threatened torrential rain. David used his nightstand to kneel on and peek out of the window. He liked this kind of weather. Something about its ever-changing mood which spoke to him more than a stagnant day of intense, constant sunshine. He jumped down and went back to his pad of paper, scribbling away with the darker pastels to give his scene a more realistic sky. Putting a final touch on it, he stopped and gave it a quick check from different angles. Finally, he picked it up, turned it around and showed it to the old man in the darkened corner of his bedroom. David thought the old man might like to see it, He'd never spoken to him before. In fact, even now, he was unsure if the old man could even see the picture. You see, he seemed to be half inside the wall. He wasn't even sure it was an old man. He just got that feeling, the sense, that it was an old being. Well, what what do you think? said David. David, dinner's ready, came his mother, Judy's voice from downstairs. David turned to face the door. Coming, Ma... Out of nowhere, hands gripped his neck from behind, wrapping around his throat, lifting him three feet in the air. The drawing fell from his hands as he was ragdolled back and forth before being flung face down onto his mattress. David, dinner, now! David jumped off his bed and headed for the safety of the wall. His back pressed against it, he held his breath. The old man had gone. There was no one in the room. His eyes suddenly caught the door handle of his bedroom door slowly turning. His heart was pounding out of his chest, tears were in his eyes, and then the door flew open. Are you deaf? It was his elder sister, Debbie. Stop being a freak and come down for your dinner. Arne could tell something was bothering Debbie. This was her favourite burger place. But the burger sat turning cold on the plate as she looked down and slowly picked away her fries. They came here every Friday since they'd started dating. And this was the first time Debbie hadn't appeared happy to be there. We could have just got a pizza if you wanted, he began. Debbie just sighed. What's going on with you? asked Arne. You've been acting off all week. 
Debbie continued playing with her fries and staring at the table. I... I need to ask you something. It's David, she said meekly. He's been acting kind of weird lately. Screaming at night. Swearing at mum. It's just not like him. She took a slow slurp of her soda. Like he's having nightmares or something? Asked Arne. Yeah, well, no. More than that, really. She paused and looked up at Arne. Mum's calling a priest in today. Arne laughed. Whoa, so like the exorcist. Has his head turned all the way round too? Debbie wasn't impressed. Forget it. I knew you wouldn't take it seriously. She snapped back. Arne, still smiling, held his hands up in mock surrender. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What did you want to ask me? Debbie took a breath. Just if you'd mind staying over a while is all. Just while all this is going on. He likes you, so maybe he'll stop acting out. In truth, David did like Arne. Arne had an attitude. He had that tough guy appeal that young boys aspire to have themselves. David's adoration wasn't lost on Arne either and he inwardly was delighted to be someone's idol, and in turn had developed protective feelings towards the young boy. Sure, he said with a shrug. I'll put the little guy straight. Debbie reached over and rubbed his hand. Thank you, she said, with an authenticity that Arne had rarely seen from her. An authenticity that, in truth, and much to his confusion, gave him a slightly anxious feeling in his stomach. Judy opened the front door to greet the parish priest, Father Steen. He was all smiles and bows as he crossed the threshold to the Glatzel residence. Would you like a drink, Father? A black coffee would be wonderful, thanks, he replied. And Judy led him to the kitchen. Drinks made, the two pulled up a chair at the kitchen table. So, Father Keane began, the diocese said you are looking for a house blessing today. Judy's face changed. No, Father, I'm looking for an exorcism. Father Keane almost choked on his coffee. I'm sorry? My son, David, I, I explained all this on the call. He's, well, well, I think he's possessed. Father Keane took a deep breath and inwardly rolled his eyes. Mrs. Glatzel, he said, do you know how many families I've been to who say their child is possessed? Dozens. He leant over and touched Judy's hand. And do you know how many of those turned out to be genuine? None. But this is real, Father. He's seen the thing doing it. He says it told him to beware. Black eyes, pointed ears, jagged teeth, Judy started. But Father Steen cut her off. Horns and hooves, no doubt, too, he said sarcastically. Well, yes, actually, yes. Judy nodded frantically 
her face showing the disdain of someone aware they're being patronised. Judy, if I can call you Judy, the priest said in a calming tone. Judy nodded reluctantly. Well, it's all Hollywood's fault, you know. Young imaginations running wild after watching some special effects. Judy just nodded along in defeat. Now, if you'd like me to bless the house whilst I'm here, I'm more than happy to do so. But I don't think we'll be doing any exorcisms today, he smiled. Judy, thinking something is better than nothing, nodded again. Excellent, said Father Steen, standing from the chair and placing his bag on the table. He opened the bag, removed his purple stole and kissed it. He placed it around his... The priest froze. The sound came from upstairs. That's David! It's happening again! shouted Judy as she ran out of the kitchen and straight up the stairs. Father Steen followed behind, clutching his bag in tow. Judy burst through David's bedroom door. David was stood up with his back to the window, his head back at an unnatural angle. Something from above them in the attic sounded like it had been thrown to the floor. David, she said sheepishly as she approached the small boy. Again the noise from the attic, this time louder. Father Steen watched in shock from the doorway. His eyes were drawn to the boy's feet. He was somehow balancing perfectly on the tips of his bare toes. The priest felt a build-up of static behind him. He quickly spun around and... The third noise from upstairs. He heard Judy cry out and saw a cradling David, who he could only assume had just collapsed in his mother's arms. With that third bang, the static sensation and overall feeling of dread seemed to lift almost to signify an end to proceedings. Judy turned to the priest. Do you think all this is in his imagination too? They placed David in his bed and returned to the kitchen area. Both stayed silent for a while, thumbing the edge of their mugs. Father Steen finally spoke. Before an exorcism can be done, there are certain criteria that must be met. Judy looked astounded. So that is not good enough for you, she said, pointing to the ceiling. Whether we like it or not, the church will only authorise an exorcism if every other check has been done first. Listen, Judy, what just happened? Well, it's convinced me, but I then need to convince a bishop. The first step is to get David psychologically assessed. Judy's mouth was open with disbelief. I've never heard such nonsense in all my life. You've just seen with your own eyes that something isn't right here. I'm not putting my son through a load of tests to prove something to you that you yourself had just said is real. Father Steen rose to his feet. Judy, if you don't agree with the required steps, then my hands are tied. Judy just chewed on her fingernail, shaking. Listen, said the priest. I'll finish blessing this house, 
and I'll make my own way out. But if you change your mind, let the diocese know and I'll arrange everything. Judy just continued to chew her nail and stare into space. She couldn't believe they had to jump through hoops to get someone to help. And if the church couldn't help, she was unsure who else could. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm going to be keeping my eye on you, smiled Arn from David's doorway. Gonna be here for a few weeks to make sure you're not terrorising your mum and sister. David smiled back from the comic book he was reading on the floor. Shut up, Arn, David laughed. Ooh, tough guy, are we? Joked Arn and began shadowboxing in the doorway, making David chuckle as he done so. Seriously though, dude, I am going to look out for you, okay? Arne said comfortingly. Thanks, Arne, said David, and he returned to his comic book. Arne walked downstairs and into the kitchen area where Debbie and her mother were mid-conversation. I'd seen them speaking a few months back at a lecture in the university. All about ghosts and demons and such, said Judy, cradling her coffee in both hands. Who's this? said Arne, taking a seat. Well, Mum's just saying that there's a married couple who can help with what's going on with David. Demonologists, apparently. Demonologists? smiled Arne. Like Dungeons and Dragons and all that type of stuff. Debbie punched his shoulder. It's not funny, Arne, said Judy. It's getting worse. He started waking up looking like he's been mauled by a tiger. Claw marks, bites, bruises. Last night, I lay in bed and heard things getting thrown around the attic. Right after that, 
I could hear David reciting scripture perfectly. And there ain't no Bible in his room. He went on for an hour straight. No kid his age knows an hour worth of the Bible. Well, do you want me to go and take a look in the attic? said Arne. Judy and Debbie looked at each other. Judy shrugged. Can't do any harm, I guess. So Arne pulled down the hatch and made his way up the wooden steps, torch in hand. Everything seems fine. There's nothing tipped over or anything, he said. He headed back down the steps and turned off the torch. Probably rats, he shrugged. Judy reached out with one hand and put her finger to her lips with the other. The three of them fell silent and listened. From David's room, they could hear talking. They moved closer to the door to make out what was being said. A raspy, elderly voice could be heard. Did I request thee, maker, from my clay to mould me man? Did I solicit thee from darkness to promote thee? Arne flung the door open, fully expecting to find an old man in David's room. Instead, he found David, sat cross-legged facing the corner of the room. The three stood in silence. A noise from the attic made them all jump and look up. What are you doing? They all spun back around to see David standing looking at them in the centre of the room. Why are you all acting weird? Arne took a breath. Um, nothing, buddy. We just thought we heard rats in the attic. Oh, yeah. I hear that too, sometimes, said David, and he went back over to his comic books. The three adults exchanged glances of disbelief. Ed and Lorraine Warren were not what you pictured if you pictured the word demonologist. They were more akin to what you would picture if you thought retired Floridian couple. Lorraine was polite, elegant and friendly. And Ed, although also polite, seemed much more of a let's-get-down-to-business type of man. They'd arrived around noon and held conversations with Debbie, Judy and Arne. They had listened to every occurrence that Judy had written down in preparation for their arrival and now it was David's turn to be interviewed. Immediately, Lorraine tensed up. She shifted around uncomfortably in her chair. Ed knew she'd either seen or sensed something about the boy. She had a gift for this. Ed reeled off a list of standard questions. What comics do you read? Who's your favourite sports team? But he interspersed with questions to find out more about what might be going on. Do you watch horror movies? Have you ever read Milton's Paradise Lost? Ed would later explain to Judy that the raspy utterances they heard were quotes from that very book, but both Judy and David claimed to never have heard of it. Interview completed, Lorraine said she wanted to spend some time alone with David in his room to see him in his normal environment. David led the way, happy with the interest being shown in him by this kind lady. 
You just do what you would normally do, smiled Lorraine. Pretend I'm not here. Okay, said David. I guess I'd probably colour something in, he said, picking up some paper and pens. Lorraine slowly walked around the room, touching the walls, trying to get a feel for the place. She heard David take a deep inhale of breath, still face down looking at his paper, but his doodling hand had stopped moving the pen. His head lifted slowly, and he looked at Lorraine. The whites of his eyes were completely black, and a slow, raspy hiss seemed to be coming from the air around him. Lorraine backed away out of the room and hastily made her way down the stairs. She walked straight up to Judy. Your child has something dark attached to him and he needs an exorcism as soon as possible. At this, Ed led his wife to a chair and asked her, What did you see? Lorraine took a sip of water and steadied herself. As soon as your son sat down to talk, I could see a black mist behind him. It watches him. It uses him. And I don't think it's alone. Judy had heard enough. I've already asked a priest and he was useless. He wanted a load of tests to be done first and quite frankly, my boy's been through enough already. Can't you hold an exorcism? We can, nodded Ed whilst rubbing his wife's knee. We'll do whatever we can to help you and your little boy from this evil infestation. And so, over the next few days, the Warrens completed three, what they referred to as, lesser exorcisms, designed to find the infesting demon's name. Each exorcism grew with intensity, as David appeared to levitate, growl incessantly, spit and claw at those in attendance, his mother, Debbie and Arne. The Warrens rose to each occurrence and demanded the demon reveal its name so they could ask the Lord to intervene and remove the spirits from the young child. However, the names didn't stop coming. In total, 43 demons were found to be possessing young David Glatzel, and the Warrens felt the task was insurmountable. During the final exorcism, the demon announced through David it was going to kill. At this, David began choking. His neck distended as if hands were being tightened around his throat. Soon, his breath stopped altogether. Arne had seen enough and screamed out, Take on me instead! Leave my little buddy alone! David gasped as his airways opened and he fell to the bed. Over the next few days, although he no longer seemed possessed, David's physical condition did not improve, and Debbie and Arne thought it may be best to give David and Judy some space. Therefore, when Debbie's new boss, Alan Bono, offered her the apartment above the dog groomers where she worked, they decided to take him up on the offer. It was nice of Alan to offer this place. It's got a real homely feel, Debbie said as she unpacked the boxes of plates and cutlery. Yeah, Arne agreed. 
Not to mention it's literally a flight of stairs for you to get to work. Debbie laughed. Well, you always said I was the lazy type, didn't you? Didn't you? Arne didn't answer. Debbie turned around and Arne was frozen, holding a mug. His eyes had glazed over, the whites turning jet black as Debbie watched on. Each outward breath became a growl. Debbie stepped back and knocked a plate to the floor. She shot a glance at the broken pieces and then back up to Arne. Hey, clumsy, he said and walked over to pick up the pieces. Arne, Debbie began. Arne, you were just, you were just in a trance. Arne looked confused. Sure I was, Deb, he laughed. No, seriously, your eyes just went black and... Arne held her arms. Deb, you're just messed up because of what happened to David. You need to calm down, okay? Debbie nodded, but she knew what she'd just seen. And her stomach turned over in panic. The next day, February the 6th, 1981... Arne went for lunch with Debbie and her new boss, Alan, along with Arne's sister, Wanda, and Debbie's nine-year-old cousin, Mary. Alan was quite the drinker and got through a series of drinks before Debbie took the girls out for pizza, leaving Alan and Arne together. The guys seemed to enjoy each other's company, so this seemed like a good time for them to bond. Debbie had almost forgotten about Arne's little trance the day before, Returning back to the apartment with the girls, however, everything was about to get much darker than ever before. Debbie opened the apartment door. We're back, she shouted from the hallway. The girls ran ahead of her. Debbie had no idea what had taken place while she was gone, and she never will. All she did know was what she could see in front of her now. And that was her drunken boss, Alan, grabbing a nine-year-old Mary by the arm and holding her out in front of him like a shield. Debbie shot a glance across at Arn. His breathing had become deep and raspy. The whites of his eyes were darkening in front of everyone. Then, everything became a blur. Arn leapt forward with a five-inch pocket knife and snarling and growling like a madman, plunged the knife repeatedly into Alan Bono's chest and stomach. Arne was screeching as each thunderous blow landed, one so severe it cut from Alan's stomach to the base of his heart. A police officer knocked on the apartment door. He'd been dispatched after neighbours had heard screaming from the flat above the dog groomers. A dishevelled Arne opened the door. I... I think I've hurt someone, he muttered. The next day, the officer in charge of the case was busy compiling statements at his desk when a colleague came in and advised there was an older-looking lady in reception wanting to see him about the case. He sighed, stood up, and put on the jacket that was on the back of his chair. Wearing his best, pleased to meet you, smile, he walked through the desk hatch and was greeted by a small bird-like lady. My name is Lorraine Warren, and I think you should know. 
Arne Johnson is not responsible for the murder of Alan Bono. The detectives sized her up and down. Really? And who, may I ask, is responsible? What, may you ask, is responsible? The officer folded his arms. You see, continued Lorraine, this murder, in truth, was committed by a demon. On this show, we want, as we always say, your disbelief to be suspended so you can glean the most out of a paranormal story. But that doesn't mean we will ignore cold, hard facts. Now infamously known as the Devil Made Me Do It case, the murder gained widespread media attention due to the warrant's fantastical claims. Juries were asked to consider the existence of demons and that possession was in fact a reality. Just thinking out loud, why should it seem so far-fetched? Our law system bases the credence of someone's truth on the fact they've placed their hand on a Bible and declared they will say the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Surely if fundamental truths are believed based on a religious text, then everything in that text may also apply in a court of law. However, the jury didn't think that way, and Arne was sentenced to 10 to 20 years for first-degree manslaughter. It's after sentencing that things start to get even muddier. Firstly, David and his brother claim the entire story was fabricated by the Warrens for financial reasons, a claim that has reared its head numerous times with numerous cases involving the Warrens. It should be noted, the financial success of the Warrens, the books, the films, the museum, are all down to the media success of the cases they've investigated. On the one hand, you could say it's because they're experts in their field. On the other hand, you could also argue that that field is fabrication and media savvy. We'll end the story by stating one more truth. Arne and Debbie stood by their version of events. Even when he was jailed for manslaughter, they stuck to their story. They even married whilst Arne was incarcerated. And even when he was released at age 24, they still stood by their story. That for Arne, the devil made him do it. Thank you for joining me for the premiere of Season 4 of The Dark Paranormal. Before I leave you, I need to say a big thank you to our Patreon supporters who've joined since the last episode. We have Anna Rowley, Abby Sheridan, Caitlin Savo, Matt Osborne, Danny Peterson, Elviron, Dimitrios M, Gay G, Emily Torb, Sean Kelly, Claire Eastwood, Margaret Baxter, Maddie Leatherman, Haley Bates, Joe Ray, Emily Cancannon, Jack Netherton, Marcus, Natalie Petch, and finally, Brooke. Thank you so much for showing your support for The Dark Paranormal. Your support means the show can continue and can thrive. 
so thank you very much. Don't forget, if you'd like to join the team over at Patreon, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal and you'll get early access to these episodes and also extra releases each and every week just for Patreons. Until next time, remember, when discussing the paranormal, always leave your disbelief at the door. I'll see you next time on The Dark Paranormal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.